Psalm chapter 51, I have a word of prayer. We'll wait a little bit before we read the scripture. I have some introduction to this, but let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity of declaring the word of God. Lord, you know everything that's taking place, everything that will take place. You're our Jehovah Shammah, Lord. You're always there. You're always present, knowing what's in the past, the present, the future. And we rely on you at this time to please help us to totally rely on you be with the allergies that I have and the difficulty at times of talking. Uh, Lord, intervene and please help it not to distract from the word of God today. We love you. Please be with Pastor Seth, Pastor Chris, the elders of this church in the days ahead that they'll continue to follow your will and your ways and eyes will always be kept upon you, not upon the preacher, but upon you. We thank you, Lord, that you are in the healing business. All we thank you, our Jehovah Rapha, Lord, you heal, and we thank you for that and for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you cannot discuss the life of David without talking about his great sin. David's sin of committing uh, adultery with Bathsheba, his ultimate cover-up of killing Bathsheba's husband Uriah, and the 12 months of living in guilt instead of living in grace practically killed the king. David's sin in many ways damaged his life in ways that we could never really explain. But now I think of David, I don't think of a man whose life is defined by adultery, but I think of a man whose heart was God's own heart. Let me explain, it says in 1 Kings 15, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all of his days of life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Of course, the matter of Uriah the Hittite was the matter of adultery with Uriah's wife, the conception of a child, the cover-up of this great sin, trying to get Uriah killed, and he was blood guilty of these sins. But here's what you could say about David. Think about it. He did right in the eyes of the Lord all of his days except this one event. That's what the Bible says, except for this one grievous sin, with this being an exception of David's life and certainly not the rule. Isn't that true of every child of God today? A child of God, do they sin? Well, yes. Do they sin grievously? Most certainly they do. But a Christian does not continuously practice in sin. Sin does not define the Christian's life. Salvation defines the Christian's life. Jesus defines the Christian life. Now, we know for many passages in Scripture, but 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is one I'll use. It says in clear black and white that no adulterer shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean if a person commits adultery that they will never get to heaven? Certainly not. An adulterer is one whose life is defined by adultery, one whose pattern of life, one whose living is of adultery and womanizing and so on. That person is shown by evidence they are not a saved person. A person who continually practiced sin without confessing, without putting God in his proper place, a person that does that continual habitual sin is not living the new life in Jesus Christ. And either they need to get a new religion and put their faith in Jesus Christ as personal savior because only Jesus can change your life and create purity in place of defilement and sin. Now David is not defined by adultery. This was an exception a terrible episode in his life. And consequences of David's sin, he paid all of his life. He was never quite the same. He had the scar tissues of sin the rest of his days. Now understand this, the terrible consequences of sin, they'll come and we're gonna see that today. But emphasize the fact that David's life is not defined by failure, praise God, it's defined by forgiveness. And that's what I want to study here in Psalm chapter 51. What's so appealing about this chapter is that he is a man after God's own heart. 
we say David had a repentant heart. Now understand that word, we'll look at it, a repentant heart. What's the most valuable thing in heaven or in earth? The most valuable thing, according to Jesus, Mark 8, 36, should profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul. The most valuable thing on heaven and earth is the soul of an individual because it will live in endless, timeless eternity, either separated from God in hell or with God in heaven. Your soul is immortal, it's eternal, and so it's the most valuable thing in heaven and earth. But what's the most deadly thing, the most costly thing on earth? It is sin. And David discovered the cost of sin, and each of us should think of the cost of sin before committing it. Here this day, sin is not typically an explosion in a person's life. It is typically a slow leak where the seeds of sin go into the mind of an individual and continually grow until they commit the sin. Let me explain. Let's use a sin such as stealing. It could be true of adultery. It could be true of murder, whatever. If you're walking with the Lord in the word of God, you're praying, you're faithful, fellowshipping with believers, the house of God, you're not gonna wake up one morning and say, I'm gonna go steal money. It's a process when you start to get away from the things of God. Then one morning you wake up and say, you know, we're financially hurting. I need some money. I can't do this or that job, so what I'll do is maybe steal a little from the bank or I'll steal a little from my business or whatever. Next day you might wake up and say, well, it's wrong. I could never do that, but if I did it, this is how I could do it. Next morning you wake up and say, I wouldn't do it. I know how I could do it, but I'd never do it, but boy, I would deserve it. I need it. I work hard. I need money. And then one day you wake up and say, today I'm going to rob the bank or steal from business. See, it's a gradual process. It's not explosion in our lives. A slow leak in which the secrets of sin have been planted in the mind and continually grow. That's why the Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Somewhere along the line, David began sowing the seeds of sin in his life. He began to neglect his spiritual duties. One day when the troops were out the battle, he stayed in the palace in comfort and leisure. It is that time that he saw Bathsheba. It is at that time they looked upon her. At that time they lusted for her. That time that he took her and fell into a sexual sin. She conceived, she had a baby, and David knew that he was in serious trouble. So he thought, I'll cover up. I'll send for Uriah the Hittite who's in battle. I'll bring him back to the palace. I'll talk to him. I'll see if we can work things out without his knowing what's going on. And if it doesn't work, I'll send him back to the forefront of the battle. I'll have him killed, which he was, and nobody would ever be the wiser. I'm sure David never would have imagined that he was going to fail and fall in such a way as he did. Sin, you've heard this probably, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than what you want to stay, and it'll cost you far more than you ever anticipated to pay. And this is what happened to David. Twelve months of hiding, deceiving people with his sin, and one day God sent Nathan the prophet to David. See, God was not unaware of all that was taking place. God knew all of this. And so God sent Nathan to David. He points that long, bony finger to David and says, David, you are the man. And David's confronted with his sin, and he repents of his sin. Now, what's the sin? Psalm chapter 51. David's prayer of repentance is written probably about the same time that he's repenting of his sin. Look at verse 1, if you would. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Bought out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Back to verse one, blot out my transgressions. David, who was a friend of God, a man after God's own heart, is rebelling against God. Remember the Ten Commandments, two of them, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, and David was guilty of these two sins. So sin is a defiance against God. David had sinned against Bathsheba, which was sinning against himself. When he sinned, he committed the sin against the nation. When he sinned, he committed the sin against Uriah the Hittite. When he sinned, he committed the sin against himself because of the terrible consequences that he would have to pay. But here it is, sin is ultimately against God. So in verse 1, he cries out, blot out my transgressions. In other words, remove them. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly, cleanse me. Sin is dirty, it's filthy. Imagine doing filthy things in the sight of God. Imagine doing things in the sight of God are displeasing to him. You can rationalize whatever sin is in your life. You can redefine whatever sin. You can excuse your sin. But remember, sin is sin, and it will break your fellowship with Almighty God. Now, the picture of sin is dark. It's black. It's a defilement. It's a disease. It's a separation between God and man. It's a disturbance. It's a distortion in the spiritual life. It's a terrible price to pay for sin. Let's ask this question. David, was it worth it? Let's ask you a question. Is your sin going to be worth the cost that it's going to pay the price in order to have God's blessing on your life again? A terrible price for sin. Now here's the deterrent of sin. You want to stay away from sin? Want to have victory over sin? The one is to have a holy fear of God. God's judgment upon sin. Number two is to have a holy fear of sin. Most of us as Christians do not realize the terrible consequences of leaving unconfessed sin in our lives. Look at verse five again. J. Vernon McGee, he says regarding this, we've all been born in sin. And too often we try to hide our private lives, but we're honest before God and confess our sin if we want to clear conscience. Verse five, he says, I brought forth an iniquity. J. Vernon McGee says, if you knew my heart the way that I know my heart, you wouldn't even want to listen to me today. He paused. He said, before you run to the exit, if I knew your heart the way that you knew your heart, I wouldn't even talk to you today. See, all of us are born in sin. All of us have iniquity. But the point is that suffering and sin, the consequences come, but there's also redemption, we might say. Fellowship can be restored. Look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. So it affected his bones. In other words, he's a wreck. I want to be happy once again. I want the spirit of joy that I once had. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse my conscience, in other words, from guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me with a willing heart. In other words, give me that joy that I once had. Verse 13, I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. The tragic consequences of sin. Verse 14, as already read earlier, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Now look at it there. His ears are affected. His eyes were affected, his hands were affected, his bones were affected, his mind was affected. I mean, this man is literally falling apart. Wouldn't you agree with me? All because of remaining 
unconfessed sin in his life. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever covers his sin shall not prosper. You cannot sin and win as a child of God. You cannot sin and win. Unconfessed sin will always be paid for spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. David suffered. Now you can suffer without sinning, but you cannot sin without suffering. David's suffering came in ways that he never imagined. It makes no sense. We foolishly commit a sin and I'm going to hide it from God. How foolish. How do we think that we can hide our sin from an all-seeing and an all-knowing God? The Bible says your sin will find you out. So look at how David lost his fellowship. Verse 12. He cries out, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He lost his testimony. He lost his ability to worship God. All of it right here in this passage. His spirit's affected, fellowship, his joy, his testimony, his worship of God. His life's a shambles because of unconfessed sin. So what happened? Well, you say David fell out of grace. What do you mean by that? Well, David lost his salvation. Let me quickly put that no to that. He did not lose his salvation. Once you're in the family of God, chosen by God, you will not lose it, okay? You will never lose your sonship, but you will lose your fellowship. And that's what David here, he saw the spirit that he once had of joy, the work of the spirit in his life was no longer there, and he cries for God to help him. He repents, and that brings us to this last chapter of David's life, and it's the final chapter and a joyous chapter, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean to confess my sin? It means to have the same attitude towards sin as God has. It means to hate your sin as God hates it. It doesn't mean to confess it and go out and do it again and say he forgives me and confess and do it again and again. No, it's a hatred towards that sin, a turning from that sin. When I pastored years ago, there was a man that came to me This man told me that he was committing an immorality. He said, Pastor, please pray for me. I can't seem to get victory. I have no joy. He said, I'll go ahead. I'll pray and ask God to forgive me. I confess it. He said, sometimes I'll even even confess my sin. I'm away to doing the sin. God, please forgive me for what I'm about to do. I'll even sometimes, in the midst of this sin, my mind goes to the things of God, and I'll even think then, God, forgive me for this sin. On the way home, God, forgive me. Please forgive me of this sin. He said, I have no joy. I can't get victory. I said, because there's a verse that describes you. 2 Corinthians 7.10. It tells us that godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. A lot of people are sorrowful for sin. But a true sorrow brings repentance. And as the old preachers used to say, repentance is you're going one way, and you now turn, and you're going the other way a change in your life, and that's where David came. He came to a change in his life, and he's praying that God restores his fellowship. Look at verse seven. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. As one of the men said this morning, how do we get washed? It's through the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, we've talked about sin. Kind of a rough thing maybe to talk about to a guest speaker to people, the word of God, but sometimes take it wrong. We've talked about sin, but let's talk about now, is your fellowship right with God today? If there's sin, unconfessed sin, that needs to be restored, that needs to be repented of. But is there sin in your life breaking your fellowship with God? How do we confess sin? What does sin do to us? 
R.C. Sproul was a great man of God, has gone to be with the Lord, a great reformed preacher. R.C. Sproul once said in his sermon, there are four types of people. One is a person who's not saved and doesn't care about it. You ever talk to them? You mention the Lord, talk about salvation, they have no interest whatsoever. They know they're not going to heaven, they don't care. They're not saved and they do not care about it. A second group of people are those who are saved in the family of God and they know it. I'm in that group of people. Hope all of you are in that group of people. You know you're in the family of God. You know that you're bound for heaven. A third group of people are those who are in the family of God but sometimes doubt it. He said that's because of sin. They've not grown in the Christian life to learn how to have victory over sin. And as a result of that sin, they have no joy in the Lord. They have to confess it, get over it, but it's constantly bothering them. Here's a fourth group. Here's a deadly group. I hope that you're not in this group. Those who are not saved but know they are saved. Those who are not saved but know they are saved. And he mentions by Matthew 7, 21 through 23. People at judgment say, Lord, Lord, using the word Lord twice because they feel they have a relationship with him. He knows them. They know him. Lord, Lord, we've done this. We've done that. We've done on and on. I've gone to church. I carry a Bible. I sing a song. I've done whatever. But he says, depart. I never knew you. Because they've never claimed Christ, never been brought into the family of God. Here's the thing. First of all, be certain of your salvation. And secondly, be sure your fellowship with God is right. Now, how do I know my fellowship is right? Number one, do you have a love, a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ? That's not asking too much. Mark 12, verse 30. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Do you have a desire, a love for God? Oh, yeah, you fail. But is he number one in your heart? Do you really want to serve him, really want to praise him? Do you really wait day to day to have time with him? True love for God. Secondly, you're going to have the witness of the Spirit. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are sons or children of God. Do you have the witness? Does the Spirit guide you? Do you listen to the Spirit's leading? Then here's the important one. You'll have a desire for holiness. When we're saved, we have the holiness of God in us but we don't have complete holiness until we go to heaven. So day by day, I'm desiring to be holy. I hate sin. I want God to have the victory in my life. J.C. Ryle said, believers who neglect the word will not grow in holiness nor have victory over sin. The word of God is so important in our lives. My dad, who was a pastor and went to be with the Lord some years ago, he saw his illustration. He said, take a dirty pig from the pig pen, wash him up, clean him up, put a little ribbon around his neck, spray some perfume on him, and let him eat dinner table, let him go to the family room and fellowship and have joy with the family, whatever. But once that pig has gone out, he'll go back and wallow in the mud like before because you've not changed the nature of that pig. Is your nature changed? Do you have fellowship with God or are you living in sin? Do you leave church and the muck of sin is in your life? Then something's wrong. You're not in true fellowship with God. Fellowship with God comes by the word of God, by prayer, by worshiping God, putting him first place. What is your fellowship in God's sight today? John Newton said, when I get to heaven, there are going to be three wonders. Number one, I'm going to wonder how some people got there that I didn't think would be there. Wonder number two is how some people are not there that I thought would be there. And wonder number three is to find myself there. Praise God for his love and for his mercy and for his grace. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a predecessor of Martin Lloyd-Jones. G. Campbell Morgan said this, Psalm 51 is a great song, 
pulsating with the agony of a sin-stricken soul that helps us understand the stupendous wonder of the everlasting mercy of our God. Oh, how I praise God for his love, his mercy, his grace. And I'll tell you what, if you're part of God's family, the millions and billions of people that have lived, praise God that you have been called to be one of his children. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your goodness today. I thank you so much for your love. And Lord, in the time that we've shared, I pray that you have been glorified. Lord, sometimes it's a rough sermon when people don't know you, even though it's the word of God dealing with sin in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you will have the victory in each life today, that those who are in the family of God today will certainly examine their lives and be certain that they are having proper fellowship with you. That, as David said, they can have the joy of their salvation. Thank you for the joy that comes through you, not by circumstances, not happiness, but, Lord, the joy that you can bring by living a life that's in fellowship with you. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.